Welcome to Reframe Your Life. I'm Joanne Gibson. And I'm Sandy Reynolds. Together, we bring you our podcast for women who want to live and lead their lives thoughtfully and with intention. On our episodes, we explore diverse topics relevant to all areas of our lives. Our guest this week is Patty M. Hall. This is our second episode with Patty. We had so much fun with her on the first time we had her on Reframe Your Life. We decided we needed to go deeper and have her back. So we're going to be doing a deep dive over three episodes into storytelling and memoir writing. Reframing Your Life is all about understanding your personal story, making sense of it, so you can lead and live your best life. And we're going to talk about how you can frame that story, how you can get that out and understand it and make it work for you. So welcome, Patty. Hey, I'm so happy to be back, you guys. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you as well. Hello, Joanne. Yes. Hey, this is fun. Yeah. Well, I don't know. But you, say, you, you, you say that now. You say that now. <laughs> we, well, have, we are armed and loaded with questions. All yes. <laughs> it's all good. Oh, I can't wait. Good. I can't wait. Hopefully you've had some coffee. Yes, I've had many coffees, so I am armed and ready. I have my notebook, and you can pummel me with questions. <laughs> Hit the memoir coach with your questions. Great. Well, I have a good one to start with. So okay. I've been thinking about this one. What barriers do people have when it comes to memoir writing? <clears throat> All of them are in their own heads is the short answer. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> okay, barriers. Let's see. Well, you know, like What start- stops people from writing yeah. their story? And, and I mean, that's the thing, right? We all, we all get stopped because I think we probably all wait a good 10 years before we would start because we, first of all, have to live the experience, go through it. And then things like this start to happen. You go to dinner parties and somebody says, hey, you should really write a book. Or, you know, don't you think it's time you wrote that down? And then you mull on that for a while. And then all of that nasty self-talk starts to creep up. So here's where I turn the tables back on you guys and say, why haven't you guys started? So what do you hear in your head? I know it's lovely, isn't it? Well, <laughs> what do you hear in your head? I mean, I know everybody hears this. I can give you a couple of mine. I'll give you a couple of mine and then we'll do the sharing thing. This is how every coaching session for memoir writers starts with me. It's always what's been stopping you is usually what we have to spend the most time straightening out. So how about this one? Um, I'm not famous. I shouldn't mm. write a book. Like, what would anyone want to read my story for? Yeah, that was that was like me. Not that I'm not famous, but who wants to hear my story? Like, is it exciting enough? I know. We're so – this is where we hear how cruel we are to ourselves. Okay, Sandy, what's your thing? If I said to you, what, what stops you? What barrier do you feel? What do you hear in your head? I don't know where to start. I think that's a oh. big one for me. I feel like, oh, I'm just like, I'd love to write my story, but it just is overwhelming. I don't even have any idea how I would go about starting it. Right. I've never, like, okay. it's inexperience. I've never written a book before. How do okay. you do it? All of those kinds of things. Okay. So let's start at a place that we can all agree on the power of story. So let's start there. That stories have always been told we continue to tell stories whether we invent 
creative myths for our children about, you know, birds that come alive to rescue them from a rising storm. We invent story for comfort. We tell one another stories in order to keep our memories alive. There's nothing more gratifying than hearing the story of, you know, grandpa who survived in the mountains of Italy during World War II. There's nothing more exciting than that for any generation to know that they came from the stuff of such strength and resilience. We tell stories to comfort, to add legacy, but we more than anything do it to teach one another that we're not alone. So whenever anyone says to me, I don't know if I can write my story because, or I can't this because, or I shouldn't because, I always try to turn it around and say, think of what your story might offer to someone. And that's where these thoughts start to break apart. If you see your story as in being in service to someone, first of all, you, and secondly, someone mm-hmm. that you might share it with, then you start to see how petty and really not very kind some of these grievances are that we have in our head. For mm-hmm. example, like, who cares if your story is exciting, Joanne? What if your story isn't exciting by someone's standards, but rather inspiring and a story of Mm. survival and a story of how moving cross-continental and around the world has been something that has brought you great joy and excitement, and they've always been too afraid to move 10 miles from home. Mm -hmm. So what if the service of your story is to say, hey, you're not alone. I totally relate to you, even though we've never met, and I offer you my story as a way to look at your life in a different way. Mm. And that, that starts to break down a lot of these misgivings we have about telling it when we realize that there is sometimes a purpose to storytelling that isn't about us at all. It's about our feelings of satisfaction and clarity that we get from the telling it. But stories are received by someone. Whether or not we ever think there's going to be an audience, sometimes the only audience is the cosmos when we're writing for, you know, two years in a dark room. But even that has a purpose, right? And We're thinking and analyzing while we're writing the story, and then we offer that up to a potential reader or an audience one day, and I think that starts to break it down to a few less harsh judgments. Then there's the one that Sandy mentioned. Let's tackle that one. I don't know where to start. Well, I have an easy answer for that, too. Start with what bubbles up repeatedly. Start with the story that you can't put down. Start with the story that comes up at every dinner party, the one that comes up in your dreams, the one that the minute you're on a quiet train ride and you have a moment to yourself that you think of. And for some people, those are moments in childhood where you dreamed of being a writer someday or the glimpse that you got of wanting to live in the Australian outback when you were 12 and became fascinated with Australia or it's the day your mother passed away or it's un un completed things like I didn't finish that degree I really wish I hadn't had to leave that job Uh, conversations that you didn't have things that bubble up for you that's where you start and you start because it's pressing things that press themselves to the surface almost always have a greater reason than we're ready for and honestly the best feeling in writing your story is getting that bubbling cauldron of soup down on the page (laughs) so you can clear your head And for me, that's where you start. You start with what's easy. Okay. So a question along that line is, so how do you know when it's time to write your story? Mm -hmm. Like, what's the right time? Like, should you wait? Like, I feel like, okay, I'm obviously not feeling like 
I'm too young to write my story, but maybe I'm starting to feel mm-hmm. like I'm too old to write my story. <laughs> right. And the one thing I would say is you're never too old, but I have seen stories where people start to write them too soon. So regardless of your age, for example, and I'll, I'll use my own illustration here. Um, I have written a book and then had to go and rewrite it, which I've done recently with one of my memoirs. And the reason I did that was that I wrote it too soon. I wrote the first draft too soon. And the book was more about what I was going through and not how I was managing to get my head around surviving it. And what you want to make memoir good is you want memoir to operate on two levels. You want it to operate at the story level with great scenes and really gripping dialogue and descriptions of things that you went through. But to be really relatable for people who maybe haven't had your exact experience, you want them to operate at a thematic level. So in my story, I had a a sick child who I did everything I could to help him survive. I wanted my story to be about the resilience of a woman who was confronted with this massive thing she didn't know how to compete against. Mm. I had to rewrite my book to get it there because when I wrote too soon, too early after my son's diagnosis, my book was all about the medical stuff. Mm. It was about what I was all embroiled in. And that wasn't going to be relatable for a woman whose child was diagnosed at birth with diabetes, for example. And it also wasn't going to be relatable for someone who was going through divorce. I realized that until I pulled the day-to-day, the really down-in-the-muck stuff of my story away, I couldn't even analyze what I'd been through. So you can write too soon, but you can never wait too long to write the story is my answer to that one. Mm. So there is no such thing as too old because we only get to be better writers as we age. Thankfully, (laughs) it's one of those things we do better as we age. Isn't that great? (laughs) (laughs) And we, because you hone your craft, because you're polishing and practicing every time you open your mouth, every podcast you do, you're, you know, you're, you're practicing your writing. So in answer to that was now is quite likely the right time because here's the irony if you can ask is now the right time chances are it is because if it's too soon you're going to be too messed uh, too mixed up in the stuff you're going through to even think about writing your story so my guess is the time is now I think it is too so that's good So there you go. And, you know, soon we're going to make you talk about more about that. So, Joanne, have you got a follow up to the what what if being exciting isn't exactly what you need your book to be? What what would stop you if we could get the fear of it's maybe not going to interest someone? What if we could control that interest? What would your next what would you put in your way next to stop yourself? (laughs) Yes, the writing ability, I think, mm-hmm. is what I would put next. I also want to follow up. So I'll yeah. give you two. I want to follow up on said start with the story that keeps repeating itself for you and stuff. <laughs> and if I'm going too far down the line, then just let me know. You'll answer it. But yep. I, what kind of jumped to mind was start with the reader in mind. And then you've kind of said the opposite, which is start with what matters most to you. Right. And is that because actually that may not actually be because obviously what mattered most to you was your medical stuff at that point. Right. But that may not actually make the end result. So so mm-hmm. so there's two things there. There's um, 
to start, okay, I get it. We start with what resonates to me. But at what point do you start thinking what does the reader want? Mm -hmm. And then I assume I'm answering my own questions as I'm asking them. As you, start, you, as you start, your writing gets better. True. Both things are true. So um, your writing naturally gets better. It's like um, I like to use the metaphor of carving, you know, as you start, to, <laughs> you know, you, you take a block of wood and you chip away with the big clunky tools first and then you work your way into these fine scrapers and gougers as you get into the detail. So, of course, the writing improves, but the writing quality should not and I say should, and it's a terrible S word, but you really, you really have to try to not let that be a concern early on. That, right. that is, that is for later. And that okay. is for, that is for much later because the greatest challenge for most memoir writers that I work with is to get enough detail the first time around. And that means controlling all of these voices in your head that you hear right now, like, oh, the writing's not good enough. Oh, they're not going to want to hear this. Oh, yeah. who's going who's gonna to care how many times I went to the doctor before they told me what this, you know, scratch on my face really was. That you hear, you have to tone those voices down early on. And that really is where the self-kindness part comes in where you say, I just need to give myself time to get a chunk of this on the page. The writing catharsis, the emptying yourself of this memory that has been bubbling up over time. If that can be your focus early on, it really stands you in good stead for the rest of the writing process, which is pretty arduous, to be honest. But for people who are you know, listening in and for you two who haven't sort of put pen to paper yet, the goal is to turn the tap on, to get the tap turned on and give yourself lots of time for later to decide, is it good enough? Is it interesting? What does the reader want? Hmm. Right. I love that because... When you said write it for you, mm -hmm. and it's a it's a journey, it's a process. So it may be written and actually never need to be published. Correct. But, you know, like it, it depends what people get from it on their own journey, I guess. Right. I mean, writing is it's um, there's a reason why humans do it because we have I'm convinced because we have these massive analytical brains and we have nowhere to put the product of our own self analysis. So writing becomes one of those emptying out processes for us. And that is, that's more than enough. I mean, to know that you got it down is such a victory in our lives. First of all, to take the time, but also to have the ability to analyze just to without judgment, without wondering if someone's going to see this, just to get down the hurrah, I survived, it was hell, but here I am now, even if you don't know what it means, the relief of getting words on the page. I have never in my million years experience with this, I have never seen anyone say, I wish I didn't write it down. Right. It is, it's always the opposite, always. And, you know, I love that you were answering your questions sort of as you thought this out loud for everyone, because so much of this is, if you can just think it out loud, talk it out loud, you'll realize that your fears are actually about something else entirely. And in almost every case, if you present me with a fear like, what if the writing isn't good enough? Mm. I'll say to you, how do you know it won't be? Mm -hmm. You just can't know, and you can't know how good it's going to feel. You can't know how compelling your story is. This is a little bit of a crisis of faith, but only on the first page, because once you're writing, the writing is so magnetic that you'll just keep on going. I promise. If you can just get mm -hmm. that first little bit of writing done, 
everyone says, wow, this is really cool. This feels really good. And, you know, 250 pages later, you um, have a book sometimes. And if you don't, then what you have are pages and pages of thoughts that are no longer unclear in your head. They're very clear on paper. I was thinking about another barrier that I have. And uh, I was thinking about it this week because I watched this movie, I, Tonya. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's a story. I have not. It's a story of Tonya Harding. I was watching it and some of the people in her life uh, are not portrayed too nicely. Well, they're probably portrayed accurately, but they're not very nice people. And so I was thinking about that in, in memoir writing. And I thought, one of the barriers I have is in telling my story, how poor some people that I care about are going to appear in my story. <laughs> they're enough. not going to look so, so attractive. And uh, <laughs> I thought, how do you, you know, what do you do with that? Like, it's your story, and you want to tell what happened to you. But maybe your parents weren't the greatest people, you know, they were doing the best they could, but they certainly fell short. And in telling your story, you know, I, I'm a feeler, and I don't want to hurt them. Of course. Yes, it's your story. And you said that this is where farther down the line where the writing editing becomes really important and the wordsmithing and much later on in the writing process is where you decide how much is relevant. So I um, and I always hesitate to include those character sketches of other people in my writing. And now that I'm deep into, you know, more books than I care to talk about my second <laughs> memoir. I realized that I just have to show a little bit of people and I don't have to say judgy words. I don't have to say so-and-so wasn't the cousin that I wished they were. I just show myself in action with them and let people figure out for themselves what they think. Mm. And this is, this is a trend in memoir that is helping people get past the not wanting to project negative aspects on the people that they love. It is enough to simply show the way it was to the best of your memory and to leave it at that. And this is the great thing in writing, both fiction and nonfiction, is that you present the show, you present the, the scene in dialogue or the experience that was, that, was, um, that was endured with somebody and let the reader see what they think it all meant. So, you know, you might have the experience where as a child you were chastised too harshly by your grandmother. You simply present yourself being chastised very harshly by your grandmother and leave it at that. So in memoir, you rarely say, because my grandmother was so harsh to me, I decided I would never have children. You don't right. need to say those things because later on, should the reader see that you made decisions about children or grandchildren of your own that may or may not have been colored by that experience, they want to figure that out for themselves. So while you have control over what you talk about in your memoir, you don't have to fully control interpretation. You can just present the facts and you can do that with as little or as much detail as possible. And the caveat I always have to this is pretty blunt. It's your memory and it's your story. Just present it as kindly as you can and be accurate and let the reader figure out what they think it all meant. And you can't let this stop you from writing an entire book when really, if you look at it logically, you might be talking about a couple of scenes in a string of a hundred scenes that will actually be the content of your book. And no one goes into 
compelling memoir writing, wanting to ruin someone else. They go in to tell their story and the accuracy of that is why people read it because they can relate to the fact that tender experiences such as grandma was a little harsh to me when I was eight years old, those are really relatable things and those are in really good service of the human community when we say, hey, maybe you went through that too, just by presenting it. Let the reader figure out what they think. Oh, that's mm. really helpful because that is something I think a lot about is, you know, you know, there are certain things that I'd want in my story, but then, you know, I've made peace with them, but I don't need to cause more difficulties in those relationships. Mm -hmm. But it may well do, right, Sandy? Like it, Correct. It, it, yeah, exactly. And I think that's where the putting out of it happens is like, you know, if you're going to reveal a deep, dark family secret that no one likes to talk about and you're going to put it out there, whether it's like non-judgment laden or not, it was a fact, mm -hmm. and now that's out there, then there may be some consequences of that, right? So I guess that's part of the process of deciding whether you actually got a print on this kind of stuff or not. That, yeah, brilliantly said. And it also is part of the process of deciding what to keep and what to not hold in your story. You know, at first mm -hmm. we think, you know, early on we think, there is no way I can tell this without talking about, oh, I don't know, let's invent something, um, um, a second husband that ended up uh, serving time in prison or something. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we may think that we can't tell the story without talking about our second husband's prison sentence, when the fact is it may end up being a couple of lines later saying, you know, he went to prison and I didn't see him after that uh, and dropping it at that. I mean, what we really think of is huge. Mm. By, the end, by the end of something book length may not be that enormous at all. And there's this wonderful thing in the human memory and in the human attention span. Our attention goes exactly where we want it to. So I guarantee you that if, we, if you two each read my next book, you will each take away something that relates to you. Right. You will you, you'll take away something entirely different. And then if I said to you, what do you think of my ex-husband? You'll probably say, oh, um, he seemed like a nice guy. And he was. And that's all I want people to think is, did you think you, if he, you think he was a nice guy? Terrific. Because, you know, he was. And that was, I, I portrayed him honestly. And that must be how he came across. And, you know, let me just say, like, nobody expects true life stories to be perfectly tidy in fact i'm not convinced we want to read them if they are right and relatability means that we've all likely gone through something similar and it doesn't have to be exactly the same but we want to be able to say i want to read your memoir and say hey i didn't go through a crisis of faith over this or a relationship breakdown over that but boy do i understand the heartbreak that she felt and that, become, that becomes the truism that gets people from the beginning of a book to an end. Holding a great respect for our own memories, regardless of our age, is something that we really have to do. I, I, I tell you right now, and my holiday season just passed, my sister and I, we don't remember nearly anything the same about growing up. Oh, and that's say, so true. She'll, she'll say, I loved seeing you write about dad saying such and such because it totally may have happened, but I don't remember. And yeah. that, that's, um, that's the entertainment value for that. I'm going to tell you when books come out is really, really high. And yeah, you know what? Things do go wrong. But mm. by the time you've spent two years or more on a book, and in most cases, let's remember, people write for their own gratification. Sometimes they self-publish. Sometimes they just leave their book in a box. Sometimes they pass it on to their children, right? Right. Those, those people probably will have edited themselves down. 
But others who go to conventional publishing, they've had years of writing, years of editing. They've had the time it's gone to print. They've had a lot of years to warn their family what was coming. And they have come to terms with it. They have made peace with it. And, you know, making peace with it really isn't that one of the goals of Mm -hmm. our lives and of the writing. And, you know, especially if it's our story to tell. So I just sort of drop that in as a question. And it's an ongoing one. I won't say this is an easy one. And I will tell you that everyone I work with has some concern over what the impact of their words will be. And Mm -hmm. you just have to have an incredible sensitivity around it. And typically that stands you in good stead. Wow. So you just brought up something else that is I think about all the time is how much time would I have, would it take to, mm-hmm. to do this? And, you know, there's that question of, is it like going to take me like three years of my life? And, you know, I think that can be a barrier as well. I'm, I'm one of those people that likes to just get things done. So I, I kind of <laughs> wonder, could mm-hmm. I stick with the process? Well, I've seen it happen, but I'll tell you, this is where I became addicted to coaching. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I got a coach. I, I did. I got a coach really early on in my writing career, and then I got a writing partner, and I got a little writing group that I worked with because I found out it was lonely, and mm-hmm. I, couldn't, I couldn't see the goals anymore, and I would talk myself out of keeping on writing. And, you know, when you've lived your story and then you try and write it, sometimes it's just too much to have to sit with it day after day. So if you have the luxury of telling yourself, okay, here's four months I'm going to write my memoir, chances are you'll do some of that. And you'll probably make a really good start at it. You might even get yourself half of a memoir manuscript. But you're going to have questions that remain unanswered if you try to do it completely in isolation or alone. And this is where I always say to people, Don't talk about your story to just anyone. Go to someone who you can trust to give you really objective feedback. You don't don't ask your husband what he thinks of your writing and don't go to a family member. But what you need is a team member, right? You need somebody who will say, wow, I just read what you wrote last week. Here's my chapter from last week. Uh, Show me your chapter from last week. It is awesome to have a writing partner. I suggest, of course, that you two try this. If you think you don't know everything about each other, you'll learn everything about each other. (laughs) But I just found somebody who would help. And it didn't have to be a paid coach. I And, and, you know, the next time somebody says to you, uh, like me, for example, why don't you let me help you? Just say yes. Because you've no idea how supportive it's going to be to be able to send an email to somebody saying, listen, I've been sitting in this room for 18 days. I don't know if I've started or finished. I've written a bunch of stuff. I don't know how to turn it into a chapter. And all it really is is that you're spinning your wheels. So how long to take? I'll tell you that a a book takes 18 months or two years. But that's, that's as nebulous as anything else. That implies that you have a full life, that you might be working the rest of the time. Right. I know people who set aside three months and they crank out a book because they know exactly what they're writing. So the pre-writing phase of writing comes in here, Sandy, in mm-hmm. answer to your question. It's, it's doing some work in advance of the actual writing in order to speed up the writing. And that's mining for material and harvesting your memories and the kind of stuff that I hope in part two of this to take you guys through really tangible things you can do with your pen and your notebook or your computer or with your phone or anything you have around to start to see how much material you've got. And this is where that whole letting the tap turn on and letting it run for a while um, even though I'm a water conservationist, you're going to let the memory <laughs> run for a while. This is this is where we'll get to because 
when you're afraid you don't have the time, the intimidating part is that whole idea that you're starting with a blank notebook, right? Mm -hmm. You're like, okay, so I've, Patty, Patty says I have to write 250 pages. Then you start to see how much that is, and it's very intimidating. So I always encourage people to start with a few basic pre-writing places to start lists really is what they are lists of memories that keep bubbling up things that you absolutely feel your story has to include in order to capture everything that you want Um, where will it begin and where will it end time wise what will you include and not include do all of this sort of brainstorming stuff that you can do in the car when you can do late at night in bed things it's it's already at the front of your mind anyway so I always say before you worry about how much time it's going to take, see how much material you've got and how accessible the material is. Some people have to go back and do research. Some people have to go and interview grandparents. Um, Mm. But if if it's top of mind memory stuff, um, if you need months at the minimum to do it, but nobody has to write their memoir full time unless, unless you're like me, it's your profession. So I'd like to see you not put a time limit on it, except to say something like, over the next couple of years, I'd like to get the material down for the first draft of my book. That's a nice, kind, open approach. But if all you want to do is spend the rest of your life writing about your life, and people come to me in classes, um, like library, library classes that come to me, people will come to me and they'll say, like, I'm just at the point where I have some time and I just had my first grandchild, or I just retired, or I just got back from a mission to, you know, Botswana, and I really feel inspired to write about my life, and they just start writing. If you can just start writing without the goal of a book, which is tough for us because we're coaches and we sort of have these platforms and personas out there in the world where we're producing material to help our clients, I tell people to try and roll all of that ego stuff back a little bit and say, what do you want to write about that you just know would feel good? If you start with the feel good, you never go wrong and it always makes it go faster. And you know, if you knew it was going to feel good to write about your memories every day, you'd probably go to your desk a lot more willingly. That's true. Mm. Yeah. So my mind was going to journaling when we talk about on in part of our model is is reflection and we often suggest to our listeners that they take up journaling whether it be ad hoc or whether it be every day or whatever it is and that could be an easy way to start too you know instead of thinking oh my god it's this big book it's just I'm just I'm just going to chronicle and journal some of my life every week and just you know see what Mm -hmm. it's a great way uh, it's a great way to release yourself from the pressure of writing a book Mm. I always hate that big nasty label of I'm writing a book because it's intimidating it's an overcommitment. none of us really know what it means nobody wants everybody to come back to them and say how's that book going and and journaling to memoir is exactly how I have written my first two memoirs. I had stacks and stacks of journals and I just put everything in them because really I didn't know where else to put things like how scared I was in the doctor's office or how yet another sleepless night or a memory of being in a doctor's office when I was a child and I was the patient. I didn't know where to put that stuff. So the journal is exactly where you put that stuff. And this right. thing, this, this first stage of pre-writing that I talked about where you harvest material, some people call it mining their memories. I think that's Natalie Goldberg. 
Um, and what I have always done is I have always gone back to my journals to first, first yeah. of all, remember what happened, remember feelings, remember frustrations, and then you can almost always lead your memory down the garden path into something bigger. And journaling, um, I mean, it's the first best exercise for memoir writing. While journaling style writing is not the most effective memoir, it is the content of every memoir. Absolutely. That's great. I have about 30 years worth of journals. Yeah. So Wonderful. Yeah. There you go. Your, your work is done. <laughs> it, it's true. As you were talking about mining, I'm like, gosh, if you were a journaler, you'd just go back and, yep. and just reread and circle things or highlight things or write into a new book the things that resonated or connected or the things sure. that you totally forgot about that you want to reflect on more. Well, that's it, right? I mean, we often need something to hook our memories with. I mean, mm -hmm. this is exactly how our long-term memories work. You know, we, we pack our long-term memory away until a color or a scene or a memory or a smell or a person brings forth the entire big picture. And when one of the thing I, I always have people do, I have people prepare a timeline of their lives as a way of harvesting memories chronologically, but I also have this master memory list that is going on, which is exactly what you could do by going and getting your journal, Sandy, for example. You could open up the journals, say, from the period of your life that you feel most compelled to write about and think to yourself, what actually did go on in my life that year? And even if it's a tangible memory, like, you know, the farm tractor broke or so-and-so went off to war or I had to put my dog down, the selection of memories that comes with that is exactly what your memoir needs. And wherever you have to go for your memories, if you've got journals, it literally, it's like having an archive of your life. It's a terrific mm -hmm. resource. One thing you said was memoirs are relatable. You know, people mm -hmm. read them. Yes, and they they can relate. So it it automatically uh, helps people feel and think that they're not alone. That this Correct. person's gone through this, and then they've worked through this, which yes. I think is very important for women, not just women. I mean, men too. But I think the day and age that we're living in now, where just every day there seems to be more abuse of women and I think it's really important and because our podcast is mainly towards women I think it is important for women to be able to share their stories so that led me to the question of who writes more memoirs is it men or women or is mm. that an answer the memoiraholic hasn't been prepared to <laughs> <laughs> well I was reading recently and I'm, I'll tell you quite honestly I'm doing research kind of related to this now there was there was an article in I won't I won't try and quote where it came from but an article came to me through somebody who reads my memoiraholic posts who said did you realize that memoir used to be the purview of men traditionally and you see there's this there's a trend this is what I'm researching is how the genre memoir has broken away from or become its own out of a melange of other genres. So uh, I have some very early memoirs that were recommended in a post that the divine Elizabeth Gilbert put out. And she said that there were some early memoirs that inspired her. And I went back and I found them. And in finding analysis of these early memoirs, what was interesting is I found some writers who said that early on memoir was about 
men. And this, it was not necessarily, you know, great men, men, men writing their autobiographies, you know, like mm-hmm. Churchill, Churchill writing his autobiography or his life story. It was because it was also a period of time when men were a much larger proportion of the published authorship in the world, particularly in America, because that's really in the U.S. is sort of where the publishing statistics are most readily available historically. It was more commonly men. I'll tell you that now I feel it has become uh, much more skewed towards women, but I'm not sure if that is my preference and the world that I live in. Or the fact that my social media outreach seems to have a lot more women in it than men. And I would absolutely love anybody to email us on this if they actually have facts on this. Because I believe that what we're looking at is a trend that has followed a shift in social justice. Mm -hmm. That by the same token, say, in a period of time where we did not have great diversity or equality in our social justice, I expect we were seeing books written by... Uh, fewer marginalized people and a lot more mainstream authors. And now I hope what we're seeing is that those who are have been traditionally marginalized are becoming stronger voices represented in conventionally published memoirs. I don't know if that's my preference. It certainly is a passion of mine, but I'm not sure that I can prove it. And I literally am researching this now to try and figure out if the number of titles that would have been classed as memoir, say, in the 50s, as opposed to in the 90s or the 2000s, if there has been this kind of shift in the gender proportions. Um, I'm not I'm not sure. Certainly, I think what we what we could see is if we looked at the memoirs that have been turned into movies over the last 50 years, mm-hmm. I bet you we could see the trend is quite well evidenced. Uh, and if we look at the movies produced in the last few years of memoirs that turned into movies, we might be able to see more so-called her stories than his stories that have been represented. I'm not sure. And as three women, you know, particularly three white women, we probably mm-hmm. don't. We probably don't know because sometimes you just don't get exposed enough to things that are outside of your common experience. Um, I'm opening myself up to that to try and figure out what has happened in the genre. Because, of course, the genre has exploded mm-hmm. and there are a lot of harsh judgments and criticisms out there that uh, some people even say that with the memoir genre exploding, that the quality of writing and conventional publishing has gone down because just about anyone can tell their story and get it published if they have an interesting enough story. That's one of the criticisms. Um, I tend to say hooray for storytellers, but I, uh, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of uh, discussion uh, in publishing so- so what I think is interesting about that, and I, I would also be curious to know if there's any research on it, is that I maybe am more cynical about it, but I mm-hmm. feel like women buy more books. And so mm-hmm. that's what would drive publishers to publish more memoirs by women. So yeah. I, I don't know if that would be a factor in it. Not that men aren't writing as much, but maybe women are getting more book deals because that's what's selling right now. So you mentioned then, Patty, that you know every, anyone can write to basically unpublish. So I wasn't going to ask this question because I feel like from some of the stuff you've already said, you your answer was yes, but now I'm going to ask it just in case yeah. you have a different answer. Yep. Which should every story be shared? Should every memoir written be published? 
That's a great question. So to clarify the comment I made is the criticism is that anyone can write it and get it published and that memoir really isn't this sort of high quality, which I, I vehemently, vehemently yes. disagree with. Um, that would be, you know, that's, uh, and if that was true that we could generalize that broadly and insult a genre like that, then we have no business being, you know, um, a literary, a literary society at all. So that, uh, that criticism it has been around, however, and it bumps around in literary circles historically. It just goes from genre to genre. There's always, mm -hmm. publishing's always right. picking on some genre as crap. <laughs> So, right, and memoir, memoir is just taking its hit in the last two decades. So should everyone be published? No. Um, only really good writing should be published. I'd be, yes. I'd be remiss to say otherwise. Um, and, but I think that self-publishing is a tremendous invention for people who have a purpose in mind that they're so clear on and so passionate about that they just want to see their book out there. And I work with those people all the time and I fully support the self-publishing movement. And for all I know, someday that'll be for me that, that certainly I have ghostwritten books that have been self-published and I am proud to have my name on the, on the, on the cover. And uh, what I often do is say to people like, what's your vision? If your vision is, I want to see my book on the on, on a chapters or the Barnes and Noble shelf, and I want I want to get it into the hands of two thousand people who have been, you know, rape victims or abuse victims or who survived, you know, growing up growing up in really difficult times in really dark political situations. If that's the vision, then I say you should go for that because I truly do think that behind everybody who puts pen to paper, there's a little tiny secret dream that that person has that their writing might be more than they think it is. You know, I, I think that whole, I really want to be a writer someday, I think that must be the most commonly pressed down dream in human society. I think <laughs> every every little kid Every teenager, every 20-something, and certainly all the 50-somethings that I know are saying, you know what, like, it's always been on my bucket list to write a book. So, and I will always say, how far do you want to see your book go? Or do you just want to write to tell your story? And nine times out of ten, that people want to get their stories down so that the memories aren't lost. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think that is the most terrific reason to write of all. And, uh, and I'm thrilled to help people just harvest their memories and teach them how to more fully tell stories so that the really compelling details aren't lost. Mm -hmm. mm. And I think it's great now that people can get their books printed on demand. So a, fr a friend of mine, her mother, uh, she helped her mother write a story about her family during the Second World War. And they have like it on Amazon or somewhere and people can order it. And every once in a while someone orders it, but it was mostly for their family and extended family that they wanted the story there. But she sold some Perfect. books just randomly. But I just think it's great because it allows people to really specialize in as well in a certain area that might not have broad appeal. But mm -hmm. those people who are interested in that can find that material. Agreed. And it is, um, it's a wonderful life goal to see fulfilled relatively affordably. And, you know, if you sell a few hundred books, a lot of people recoup the losses, uh, or sorry, recoup the costs mm -hmm. of, of printing. It really is quite an affordable thing to do. And I know all kinds of people 
who have gone on to even conventionally publish later have started by um, creating an ebook that sells on Amazon Kindle, or then they create the print-on-demand version if somebody really wants to hold the hard copy in their hands. And I think these are all tremendous goals to have, especially if the writing is the thing that you love and you really don't care what happens to it after. And at least half of the people who are listening today are saying, I just kind of want to write. I don't care if anybody ever sees it. And because writing in and of itself is just the most joyous thing. Honestly, it is so nice to get stuff out of your head and on paper. And and everybody tells me that once they start to put things on paper. I, what a great thing if you just want to see it printed up and beautiful in a, in a bound book. There are these really affordable ways to do that. I think it's tremendous. Mm-hmm. So I have a question that I'm kind of like, oh, my God, I should have asked this right at the beginning. And I'm, I'm not as into books as you and Sandy, I, I will admit. <laughs> um, uh, it takes me a long time. I'm a slow reader, so it takes uh-huh. me a long time. And it's just, a, it's just something that I'm trying to improve for sure. Sure. Um, so what's the difference between a memoir and an autobiography? Great. Awesome question. Terrific <laughs> question. It's I'm like... Where no, did this it, word it, come it, from anyway? How did it all yeah. start here? <laughs> <laughs> so, memoir, as the literary, um, how do we say, elitists say it. Yes. Is, <laughs> I love it. Is, memoir. Is just memoir. Is a book, is just a book based on memory, but let me expand. Ah. So, an autobiography, by definition, is a biography, as in life story, written by the person who lived the life autobiographies are quite typically the entire life of a person. You will see the autobiography of Churchill or of Trudeau, or you will see a massive book, which, and that is where the term memoirs sort of came from, as in memories, as in assembled Mm. memories of a person. What those papers, you'll often see, you know, that a library has the papers of Churchill or of a great writer. Um, and that's an autobiography, an entire life story, including everything, sometimes ad nauseum, and it <laughs> quite, quite often is a well-known person who's, right. Right. so that's where you see the, the presidents and Barack, the yeah. literary, yeah. the glitterati, as I see, you'll see an autobiography. A memoir is a story built around a theme, quite typically, a time in one's life, that is being conveyed for the purpose of relating a particular story that might be about survival, resilience, encouragement, inspiration. Mm. So there's almost always a theme and it's usually a confined period of time, even if it's a lengthy period of time. Uh, For example, I have a memoir that is an intense 18 months, but yet it covers eight years. So two thirds of the book is 18 months. And then I jump ahead and ahead, but the whole thing start to finish is an eight year period. That is typically more of a memoir. It's theme. It's writing style is typically a little bit different as well, but we won't go into that. Memoir is written much closer to a journaling style, to an intimate retelling of scenes and story and dialogue and characterization that's closer to fiction than autobiography. Autobiography quite often has that formal kind of dry aspect to it and no it doesn't have to but um, if you think about people who are famous politicians instead of being full-time writers when they go to write their autobiographies I think we can expect their story to be a little drawn out perhaps lose the thematic sort of relevance here and there whereas memoir goes into it with 
a beginning, middle, and an end of something that happened that you think thematically has something that can be related to by another person. Mm, that's helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's very different when you think of it. I mean, memoir has this, when I said really good memoir has to operate at two levels. Memoir, so let's take an example that people would relate to. Let's take uh, the two most famous, overly talked about memoirs that were turned into movies. Let's take Eat, Pray, Love and Wild. So when people talk about Wild, they might say the book is about a woman who hikes the Pacific Crest Trail, but it's also about a woman who healed herself, overcame her grief, found out what she was about, and realized how how resilient she was. Mm -hmm. So those are the two levels that books operate on. While there is a story, there's also this broad thematic purpose that reaches the human heart. And that's certainly true in Eat, Pray, Love, where we could say Eat, Pray, Love is the book a woman wrote after she spent three months in three countries. Mm -hmm. But what it's really also about is how she overcame overcame a broken relationship uh what she felt was you know the the greatest emotional crisis of her life she discovered her own happiness her ability to love again and her identity Mm. and those thematic things were also happening alongside the story and that's why memoir is so gripping because if there isn't if you didn't live their story it doesn't matter you can relate to the themes and you can relate to their their coping strategies throughout it. Yeah, well, I think that's been great. Oh, I think that we've covered a lot. I, I'm looking forward to our next episode where we are, well, why don't you tell us what we're going to be talking about specifically so we can be sure. prepared for it. <laughs> so, what, so what would happen next? And this is literally if you and I were having coaching calls and meeting for the first time, this is exactly how it goes early on, where people out their fears out the concerns and have a chance to say what really stops me is like I kind of don't want to break my you know my grandmother's heart by you know saying that I did something really awful when I was a teenager that's exactly where we all start and don't you just find that when you've already put it out you guys you've already said these are the things that slow me down Mm -hmm. now you're going to go away and you're going to really sit with that you're going to think well Patty's right like how do I know my writing isn't good enough says Joanne to herself tonight she's going (laughs) to say like what am I saying like how do I know my writing isn't good enough I mean who gets to judge that first of all you don't judge that for years into your book and you don't judge that until later when really you're going to put it out in the world maybe and you want to know whether or not it's good enough for what for an audience for an agent for a publisher to self-publish to read out loud in the library you know you decide that later on so Mm -hmm. this is always where coaching starts where we all get that humanity on the table and say okay look this is a terrifying experience let's break down the fears the second thing to do is what I'd like to do next with you guys I'd like to take you and your listeners through this pre-writing and what we'll do in the next one is I'll talk to you about how to create a timeline for your lives and then I'm going to make you do it and then we'll make a template available to the listeners too if they want to give this a try if they want to try a timeline we'll make one available after the podcast next time so that they can go ahead and try and see what I mean and then I'm also going to get you guys to kind of bring a few memories to the table in part two so that we could start this thing I like to call the master scene list or the master memory list and those memories that you're going to bring up are going to be an answer to this question if you were going to write your memoir what memories would have to be included in there 
for you to feel like you got your story told. Mm. And that Good might question. be, yeah. it's going to start with three and it ultimately a book has, you know, sort of 60 scenes in it. But if you, that's what I'm going to get you to bring to the table. And this is a memory prompting exercise where if you can think of three things, you'll be able to think of 90 because our memories are all entangled like a bowl of fish hooks, aren't they? You can't mm -hmm. just pull one piece out. And that's what we're going to start to untangle next time so that people see, are they, they answer their own questions. Are they ready? Is it too soon or too late? Do I have enough stuff to write that I could do this by myself for a while before I wanted to put together a little writing group? So it's when you start to see how much material you've got. Let's do this memory mining thing together, this harvesting material thing together, and see what it feels like. And hopefully what we start to get together is an idea of what your book would be about, which is what I'd like to talk to you about in our third part, which is if this is the period of time and the memories that you think you want to write about, what other messages is your story going to deliver to people? And that's when you start to really see that you're in service of your story, that you telling your story has this greater purpose, that you're going to really help X, Y, Z number of people, or even if only a family member who's going to remember you better because you wrote, you know, how amazing you were when you were a gold medalist in the Olympics, Joanne. <laughs> <laughs> and that's okay too. But that's where I'd like to move through is, so in sort of part one, we're taking apart the fears and the, as you call them, the barriers to starting. Part two, we start to mine the material of our memories and see what the content is. And then in part three, I'd love for us to say, what else is the book about? What sort of thematic things do we have to hit on in here for me to reach other people and be in service of my story? That's great. Well, thank you. I'm really looking forward to this. And I just want to encourage our audience and the women who are listening to us, if you've ever thought of writing your story or capturing some of those memories that you're going to really want to tune into this uh, episode and the next two episodes and invite your friends who have said they really want to bite, uh, write a book someday. And we're going to go on this journey together. It's going to be really great way to start the new year and start getting our stories together and begin that journey. So thank you, Patty. Mm, my pleasure. Hi, Life Reframers. Did you enjoy our episode today? If so, please leave a review on iTunes or Google Play. Also check us out on all our social media avenues via reframeyourlife.ca.